calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Reminding you that there are no zip codes for the Red Planet on Zillow. It's episode 239 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. So happy to be talking about Mars Season 2 from National Geographic. On the show this week, got a chance to talk to some of the managing producers and consultants and a couple of the cast members at San Diego Comic-Con during the Den of Geek party red carpet. As a matter of fact, Stephen Petronick going to be one of the guys that we're going to be talking to. How about Dee Johnson as well and Hay and Jeff Hepner stopped by to give me just a quick glimpse of what might be coming up for Season 2. And if you haven't heard about Mars at all from National Geographic, going to give you a nice glimpse into that as well. So that's going to be premiering season two is on Monday, November the 12th. So getting you ready for that, but also getting you ready for a couple of big comic book releases this week. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire and I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Power up that laptop or your tablet, or if you want to travel back in time, pull out the long box, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading this week, and you know when the brand new Doctor Who comic came out, I was going to jump all over that. It's Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, number one from Titan Comics and written by Jody Hauser, Rachel Stott on the art, Enrica Aaron Angelini on the art, Vivian Spinelli on the colors, Richard Starkings, Sarah Jacobs, and Josh Rochelle on Letters and Loving That Cover by Babs Tarr. Before I even get into this book, I will say that it actually captures the essence of the new Doctor quite well. If you remember my spoiler-filled review of the of the premiere of Series 11, you know, she's very quirky, very smart, very quick, and very, very likable, and that very much comes across in this book as well. It's actually pretty... It's the same group that you see on the TV series, actually. And it actually comes pretty close to the the dynamic that you see as well. But as far as this book goes, we uh, come across a vortex in the year 3912. They can't quite explain. And while they're going to work on finding out what's going on with that, we see two other individuals seem to be trying to take something from a museum at a different point in history. Now, we get to find out who's ultimately behind the theft, but not exactly why they're doing it. Now, we also get to find out what was in the vortex that the other group was discovering, but again, not much more than that. I mean, you get to find out what comes out of it. I will tell you that much. Again, really try to be spoiler-free in these reviews because I don't want to I don't want you to, I don't want to tell you something that you're going to come across and make it a nice plot point for you. So, I, I'm not going to ruin that. So, it's a little bit difficult to talk about it. Now, what happens at the end of the issue is kind of a bit random, but it really does set up a nice bit of conflict for the next issue. Now, this is one of those deals where if you watch the show, you're already loving these characters, you're probably really, really going to enjoy this book just because it's going to give you something else to absorb these characters. You know, it's going to give you another avenue to really appreciate something that you already love. If you don't, If you haven't watched the show or you're just kind of a casual Doctor Who fan, 
this might be a little bit of a slow first issue for you, and I can understand that. It's it, they're, they're definitely playing the long game with this book, but there's just something very likable about these characters, whether it's just on the page or on the show. And, I mean, let's face it, the art is really good throughout, and it actually made a lot of sense to have a couple of colorists on this book, well, one being the colorist and the, and the second being a colorist assistant. So, I mean, it really made a lot of sense given all the different all the different like mystical elements and sci-fi elements that were going on. It really made sense to have more than one colorist to help bring that out. This really did feel like a nice companion to the series, though. And outside of that, though, it doesn't really offer much in the first issue unless, and like I said before, you're already invested in these characters on the TV side. So I'm going to give this a pickup for anybody that hasn't really watched the show and I'm going to give this a straight-up pull for anybody that has. Because I think if you already love the show, you're going to really love this as well. If, you, if you're if you still on the fence about the show, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, this will give you a nice taste of what that would be like. So, I mean, this story definitely worth reading and could definitely pick up in the upcoming issues. So, I would say just grab this first one, see what you think, and then go from there. Speaking of grabbing the first one, we have a little bit of a relaunch for the Green Lantern character. So, the Green Lantern, number one from DC Comics drops this week from the great Grant Morrison doing the writing. Speaking of great, Liam Sharp on the art, Steve Olaf on the colors, and Tom Ozuchikowski on the letters. Tom, I probably really butchered your name, and again, classic me on this show, so I apologize for that. We do get to see Hal Jordan on the cover of this book. We don't get to see him until about halfway through the story itself. Now again, it's going to be really hard to talk about without spoiling anything, but we do see Lantern 2018.2 in battle and then in an investigation to find out what was going on in that sector. Now, it turns out that there was a very important item that was involved in this little skirmish in a mystery assailant as well upon further investigation. Now, beyond that, when we do see Hal Jordan, it's kind of a loser at this point. I mean, I don't really know how else to describe it. He's working a regular job, but he can't keep it. And they, he does have a woman in his life, though, so he's got that for him. But, you know, it's pretty obvious and not really a spoiler since he's in the suit on the cover that, I mean, he does once again become a functioning and working Green, green Lantern. Sort of actually falls right into his lap in a weird, odd way. He's kind of going about his day and then all of a sudden trouble sort of finds him, which, you know, depending on what version of Hal Jordan you love, that is classic Hal Jordan. Now, after he arrives in New Oa... And that's something that will kind of be explained in the beginning part of the book, or if you're familiar with what's been going on in, in Green Lantern lately anyway, it'll explain what's going on with New Oa. And this does follow, by the way, also the Justice League Dark Knights Metal, Justice League No Justice kind of storyline, because it does end up mentioning the fractured source wall. So I should preface with this the rest of this review with that as well. Now we find out that something is seriously wrong with the foundation of the core itself. The Guardians say they already know what the threat is and who it will be, but it looks like they're going to have Hal Jordan dig deep into it anyway. Now, the final page does have a fairly interesting reveal, but how much do we really know about even the immediate future of the story based on that? And if you've read the book already, you kind of know what I'm talking about. So I'm not sure. I mean, while it is, again, a very interesting reveal... I'm not sure that we get really a whole lot out of it either, and it doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what's going on. Now, what we do know for sure is that when you flip through every page, you get to see the amazing work of Liam Sharp. And I will say Green Lantern is one character I've really wanted Liam Sharp to work on for a while now, so I'm really, really glad he finally got a chance to do that and absolutely did not disappoint. My only worry for this particular book is, is that this might be something story-wise similar to something that we've seen before from this character. That's kind of all I can really say about that. I certainly have faith, though, in Grant Morrison. And I'm not saying that Grant is trying to copy or pay homage to any past Green Lantern stories. Just something feels very, very, very familiar about this right now. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be the case going forward. So my caution bulb a little bit late right now with the Green Lantern. So I'm going to give the Green Lantern number one a pickup for now. 
Again, that's something they could change into a poll. I could certainly see this being a book I have to read weekly. There's really good capturing of the essence of the character of Hal Jordan in this. And there's certainly, it just maybe it's to me it's because there's so much mystery going on and not really a whole lot of answers or foundation laid for it. Maybe that's why I'm not completely sold on this just yet. But I think that it'll certainly get there. I have faith in the team that is involved that this will be a must-have every week. So maybe we'll check back in with this one in a couple of issues and see what's up. It's going to do for what we're reading up next. Going to be talking about the season four premiere of Outlander and joined by a very special guest that has been on the show to talk about Outlander before. That's right, our resident Outlander expert and just happens to be my lovely wife. Up next, talking Outlander on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton on Sci-Fi and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Resisting the urge to sing Living in America by James Brown in a Scottish accent. That's right, it is season four of Outlander. The season four premiere has happened. Going to be talking about it. Spoiler filled from here on out on Outlander, by the way, now that that Droughtlander is over. Once again, joined by my wonderful wife and our Outlander expert, Pam Witham. How are you doing, honey? I'm, I'm doing good. Hello, down and nerdy universe. What's up? So... I think that after last season's finale, which was about as hardcore of an episode as Outlander's ever had, I think, with with everything that happened with Galus and the shipwreck. First of all, let's talk about the shipwreck for a second, because we were talking about this mm-hmm. right before the episode aired, and, and you had a very controversial, you had a hot take on that about Claire. What, what do you think? She should have died. Legit should have died. She died, actually. If you listened to the last episode, she legit was like, yeah. I died. I'm like, dude, serious though. So, so how did you come back to life then? Like, so Jamie just got you out of the water and then poof, you start breathing again. That's not how this stuff works. To be fair, we thought Galus was dead for like a season and a half. And all of a sudden he or she shows up bathing in blood like a psychopath. So (laughs) she does. I mean, I think the fact that Claire, first of all, if Claire dies, that's, you know, pretty big departure. This isn't game of Thrones where they just kill people in the show that they didn't kill in the books and just go on with their happy lives. Very true. Very true. So, I mean, it would would have been a significant difference. Yeah. No, it it wouldn't have been outlander anymore. It just would have been kind of like, you know, like the, the sequels without the main characters. What are those things called? The, the you know, like the spinoffs. There you go, spinoffs. Yeah, it would have been more. Although like you could do quite a few spinoffs from Outlander, I would think you could do a million of them. It would be fantastic. Except for the guy that hung from the noose there at the very beginning. That's that was kind of uh, yeah. That that oh, didn't really work out. Haze. That was sad. I mean, it was pretty intense too, though. The whole you know, and then they had the 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 song for him there in the bar, which was pretty cool. But that also introduced us to the douchebag. Here to be before known as Stephen Bonnet. And I don't know about you, but as I'm watching this, I know this guy's going to come back to bite them in the ass later on. And yet here's Jamie going, yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll give you a ride. No problem. Well, I mean, think about everything that Jamie's been through. And, and he, I think really at the heart of it, Jamie wanted to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, like against the British army. Like these people are the main driving force as to why Jamie's still not back in Scotland. It's it's because of the British. So he I think Stephen Bonnet tugged at Jamie's heartstrings there for quite some time and he's like, Okay, you know, let me just let me do my duty as a, a man against the, the red coats and let's help this guy. Yet yeah, giving people the benefit of the doubt really hasn't worked out for Jamie or Claire up to this point, yet they keep doing it. But, you know, think about all the brownie points that they're earning up. You know, like all of Brownie those- points with who, though? <laughs> like somebody in the great beyond. <laughs> There's no such thing as brownie points when it comes to stuff like this. Matter of fact, every place they've lived, they're like, yeah, you know, it's going to be better here. And it's really, really not. No, it's not. They don't They don't catch a break, these poor people. <laughs> but their life's never boring, though. So would you, would you want like a safe kind of like, you know. I, I want to not be punched in the face. <laughs> On on a nice little trip down the river. That's what I want. <laughs> well, it was just a different time back then. There was there wasn't any kind of safety nets or anything. There wasn't anybody really policing the the river fronts while people were traveling. So that's and they're practically outlaws as it is pretty much everywhere they go. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's interesting too, though, that the the British captain at the dinner that they were at 
uh, knew that Jamie was a Jacobite and offered him that big hunk of land. It's just interesting to me in this particular episode, especially that you've got the pirate who is the more of the adversary now. And it seems like the British soldier was more of the friendly. And they even had that discussion about how, you know, if Jamie gets involved with this land thing, he might have to fight in the Revolutionary War against the Americans. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, is he really nice? He's being very manipulative. He's not being forthcoming with what he wants. And Jamie's just going to trust him, too, I'm sure. So. <laughs> you said no spoilers from here on out, so I won't. <laughs> Well, I mean, spoilers for this episode, but for the rest of me, I mean, you've already read the book. The so. season, I won't, I won't tell you what happens. No, no, I shan't. See, people get mad at me about that too because I, we have plenty of fans that listen to the show that have read the books and like, why can't you talk about it? Because there's people like me who've purposely not read the books to watch the show, and that that just wouldn't be cool. Yeah, you know, last season I was really excited for you to watch it, but this season it's more of like, can the episodes just come out a little bit faster so you can watch it? Because there's so much I want to talk to you about. I don't know if they put out the episodes early on the Stars app. Somebody will have to, you know, tweet us at Down and Nerdy Seven Five Seven. Are they doing that again this year? Because you know we'd be able to watch it on Friday or Saturday nights, and that would be cool. Yeah, but just a day or two in advance. No, I want like the whole season. Do what like you know the other online service. You want a Netflix and a Hulu type of situation? Yes. Give me all of it so I can just binge it. Because, you know, one of the great things about reading the book and then watching it on TV is that I don't really have to pay like a mega close attention to the TV. So I'm more watching your face and watching your reaction <laughs> when like something really hardcore goes down. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> well, here's what the show does. And it did it so well. In this episode, you know, they're on the boat. They're going to see his aunt in North Carolina. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gives her the apothecary kit and, oh, and everything. so sweet. Yeah, and everything looks like it's going to be great. And it's like, well, you know, maybe it will work out for them. And then they rip the friggin' rug right up from under you. I think that one of the most intense scenes for me was between Claire and Stephen Bonnet. And he's trying to take her rings. And you're like, you son of a, don't, don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare take those rings. And then all of a sudden, she swallows them. Right? Isn't that crazy? Like, dude, you're a doctor. You know what that will do. Right? And then he legit rips one of them out of her mouth. Yeah. Like, yeah. dude, you, I hate you. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, that's his character. You're supposed to hate him. But how, how did it make you feel, though, that Stephen Bonnet got the ring that Jamie gave to Claire, but he didn't get the ring that Frank Randall gave to her? See, to me, that's got to play out a little bit in later on the season. Like, that's the one that he got and not the other one. I don't know if that's, like, symbolic or whatever, but to me, that was like a, wow, as if things aren't bad enough for Jamie as it is. Now this happens and her ring from him is gone, but she's still got Frank's ring. Not that that should matter. You know, everything, everybody being okay in the moment should matter more than anything else. But that, that, that's got to come, that's got to come back to the surface at some point. You said no spoilers. <laughs> you legit said don't spoil the rest of the season. What do you want me to say? That's fair. That's a fair point. But then we haven't even talked about poor Ian yet because poor Ian, this is about as close to like post-traumatic stress as you can get because he pours his soul out to Jamie about everything that happened with Galas. So I, I don't know how he's okay. Well, I think that he's really lucky that he has his uncle Jamie to talk to him about stuff like that because Jamie's gone through you know the the whole rape situation that happened with Blackjack and you know sleeping with people that you don't necessarily want to sleep with and he had some very wise words for Ian I think that resonate you know with a lot of men <laughs> oh yeah they do um but you know you're gonna oh one of the cool things about Ian's character this season is you're going to see him turn into a man and it's going to be the most, it'll be intense. I'm not going to lie, but it's going to be one of the most beautiful things that you will ever see in a character ever. How would you stack up? Because, you know, the villain has kind of evolved over the seasons. And then you've, I mean, I think that the top outlander villain ever will always be black Jack Randall. I don't think that you can really go beyond that. So where do you stack up Stephen Bonnet against black Jack right now? Ah, it's going to be kind of equal. 
It's going to be equal. And there's so much that's going to happen. And I, you said no spoilers, so I can't tell you, but it's going to be pretty epic what's going to happen later on down the road with, with Stephen Bonnet and what's going to happen between the interactions with Claire and, and Jamie and and other people. So, and, and if anybody's read the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's going to be epic. And I feel like because I know this show and this story that they think, oh, we'll just show, we'll show up at the aunt's house in Carolina. Everything will be fine. There's no way it's going to be fine. It's Outlander. Nothing is always fine. You get like maybe a Nothing's week. fine for them. Right. You get like maybe a week of them, you know, having a break. And then it's like super mega intense. Yeah, they get to, you know, they get to have the little romp in the woods. And then they get to, you know, ex- exchange their little gifts. And then all of a sudden people are getting their throats slit on the boat. Ew. Yeah. Yeah, that was ugh, gross. So both yeah, both of his buddies now from from, from Scotland, Scotland are gone, gone. Yeah. in one episode. They're dropping bodies in the very beginning of this season of Outlanders. So I mean, it's going to be interesting to me to see where they really go from here. And I don't know how much we're going to learn about Stephen Bonnet outside of this story and find out like where his head's at. We don't even really know about this pirate gang that he's with at all, anyway. Well, you know, I mean, they the the show, of course, that might take some liberties, but you're you're gonna get some insight to Stephen Bonnet. Don't worry about it. You know what drives me more crazy about this whole situation is that he ba- he didn't lie about anything. He basically told them to their faces who he was, what he does, and who he is, and they're like, "Yeah, you're cool." Well, again, it's the whole we hate the British thing, and down with the British. You know. It's, it's it's a little early for the Boston Tea Party, but I'm sure that if, if Stephen Bonnet said, oh, hey, we're going to go do, you know, dump some tea into the Boston Harbor. You want to come? Jamie would be like, heck, yeah, let's do this. Screw the red coats. And he's like, oh, by the way, we've got this ruby that we're going to try and sell and we're going to have a whole crap load of money. So if you want to follow us and rob us later, that'd be great. <laughs> Poor Jamie. You know, sometimes he's just a little naive. He, uh, it, uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily as... Ah, gentle sometimes as the Scottish Highlands. And, uh, and I mean, I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I love Jamie. I do. I do. I think he's a great character. I think he's a good dude. And I think people should be good people. But at what point do you keep getting royally, no pun intended, screwed over that that you just go, okay, well, maybe I should question this a little bit more. And then it's funny because it seems like the people he ends up questioning end up being the ones that ultimately want to help him in the first place. It's so backwards sometimes. Ja- Jamie, uh, I think Jamie, for the most part, he he wants to see the good in people at all times. And yeah, he gets kind of royally screwed over, but he... Uh, his heart's really in the right place. Yeah, the beauty part about the two of them, Claire and Jamie, is that because they've been through so much, I don't know what could possibly break them at this point. Well, I don't. No, well, nothing will ever break that, and and I think that for those who saw the first episode, that when Jamie actually said to Claire, you know, you have to understand that death isn't the end for us. That what we have is so much bigger than that and and that's honestly it's it's true for them so before we move on and i said no spoilers we've we've made that pretty abundantly clear <laughs> but who who would you say i mean other than claire and jamie of course who's going to be your favorite character of the season based on what you've seen in the books um well it's for me right now it's ian ian's going to be my favorite and how much am i going to stab Stephen bonnet in the eye later on oh you're not going to be okay you won't be okay. <laughs> when I say he's pretty equal with Blackjack, he's pretty equal. Is this going to be Mark Me all over again? No. <laughs> no if you're an Outlander fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> no. No, not like that. But it's uh, it's it's not like the annoyed. It's like, I can't stand this guy. Like, he is pure evil. You know what's interesting? I, I wonder... If they would even try and tie in, because they didn't do this in the book, if they would try and tie in some kind of a tie between Blackjack and Stephen Bonnet, ooh, that would be interesting. No, I can't hate him anymore, I don't think. Who, Blackjack? No, both of them. 
Uh, well, uh, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be intense. So I'll hold you when it gets kind of crazy. If they tie that together, it's gonna be the biggest come on man moment in the show because it's like, how could that man's legacy possibly destroy this family even more? Well, I mean, it's it didn't happen in the book, but hey, what a cool ponder! What if it did? What if they linked them somehow? What That's if they crossed paths at some point? I mean, it wouldn't be impossible that that would have happened. Oh, yeah. See? See what I mean? Right? Yeah, it could happen. And now there's people listening to saying, no, it better not happen. Yeah. No, dude, legit, though. Stephen Bonnet, he's pretty darn epic. So he had to learn it from somewhere. I guess we'll have to find out. So you like to move to Sunday, though? I, I, always, I always like Outlander. It doesn't matter what day it's on. So you can put it on like five o'clock on a Wednesday and you're good. I'm I'm fine. I'll watch it. I don't care. All right. Well, it does move to Sunday, by the way, for anybody that's been trying to check out season four of Outlander. It's going to do it for our spoiler-filled review. Honey, thank you so much for joining us this week. Anytime, darling. It's going to do it for our spoiler-filled review of season four of Outlander, the premiere anyway. Up next, there's some nerd news to talk about. Disney has finally unveiled the plans for their Disney Plus streaming service. Thanks for letting us think it was called Disney Play all this time. Appreciate that, Disney. We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside with the kids recently, and yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Wynn Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Finding out that the mouse really can swim upstream, it's time for nerd news. And I say that because we finally have details of the Disney streaming service that will be called Disney Plus. I don't know where the whole Disney Play thing came from, but apparently that's out. Disney Plus is in. So Bob Iger really released a lot of information during an investor call this past week. Now, apparently it'll be broken off. Into hubs. There'll be a Disney hub, a Marvel hub, Star Wars, Pixar, National Geographic. Now, what I'm wondering is, is that, and there's really not a whole lot of information on that other than the fact that they're going to do that. Does that mean that you can pay less if you don't want to watch Marvel or Star Wars or what have you, or you just want Pixar and Disney or Pixar and Star Wars? I don't know if that's the case. I don't think that'll be the case, but it'll be interesting to see how people would react if it was. Now, we also find out that it will be launching in late 2019 because they're not even going to release more information about this until April of 2019, which is, I'm guessing, when the price is going to come out. So I think we'll be waiting a while other than rumors to find out that information. Now, what else was confirmed was the Loki Marvel Limited series with Tom Hiddleston. That is going to be happening. So we definitely know now there will be Marvel Limited series on the Disney Plus format. And as if The Mandalorian wasn't enough for Star Wars fans. 
Apparently there's going to be a Rogue One prequel series as well with Diego Luna about Cassian Andor. It's going to be set in the very early formation of the Rebel Alliance. It's According to StarWars.com, anyway, it's going to be a rousing spy thriller. It's going to be espionage and all kinds of great stuff. And as much as I loved Rogue One, I'm okay with this. I'm not, like, jumping up and down about it. I did like the Cassian Andor character, and I thought that they certainly created a lot of depth for him in Rogue One. I'm I'm in on this because of how successful Rogue One was and how much I liked the movie as a whole. So to give me something that was leading up to that... I'm not upset about that at all. I might be more excited about the Loki series, not just because of how great of a job that Tom Hiddleston does, but this is like giving me something that I never thought I would get, and that is a spotlight on Loki. And I'm not going to say Loki and Loki alone, because I'm sure that there's much more to it than that, and it won't just be Loki frolicking about the Asgardian world. I'm sure that there will be another familiar face or two in this series, so I, I think I'm more excited about that just because of how much I've liked that character over the course of his run. So and there was no confirmation on the Falcon and Winter Soldier thing. There was no confirmation on Scarlet Witch. There was a few other there's a few other things that are gonna be coming, like a live action Lady in the Tramp movie. We're gonna be seeing that and a few other things here and there, some new animated series. So there's a lot of original content. It's going to be coming to Disney Plus, and I think that that's one of the reasons it's launching in late 2019. I think they're going to come out with not just one new series like DC Universe did, because obviously they're going to want to try to one-up DC Universe. DC Universe had a lot of original content at launch that already existed, but Titans was the only brand new thing that they had at launch as far as original series were concerned. I think Disney Plus is going to want to go one-up on that, and have multiple original series available right away. So we'll just have to see how this goes and what the price is going to be and how that's all going to shake out. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, price is going to win over on a lot of other stuff. Disney sort of takes for granted that you're just going to consume their product regardless. And maybe that's what they're doing. They're going to say, hey, it doesn't matter what our price is because look at all this great stuff that we're giving you. Why wouldn't you want to pay for that? And and in a degree, they're certainly right because I know I'll be right there handing them my money at the first possible opportunity. I'm not going to lie about that. But at the same time, you've got to give people something to want to stick around as well. Being able to binge watch something in its first couple of months is one thing. But to make people stick around, you really got to have some staying power. So I'll be interested to see what that price point is going to be and how much they can justify that. Speaking of something that may or may not be justified, depending on how you look at it, a Super Mario Brothers movie may once again be in the works. This according to Variety. Apparently, the founder of Illumination Studios, Chris Milladandri, is really pushing for this project. It's, and he actually references how bad the last Super Mario Brothers movie was. And it was almost like he's making an excuse to... that. That's the excuse to kind of try again and do things. Now, I will say that if there's a vote, voice of, vote of confidence in this, it's that he is working with Shigeru Miyamoto, who is the designer and the producer of Mario on this movie. So, I mean... He, there was even a quote that says, you know, a lot of studios think that they know better and they're just going to do it their way, and we're not going to do that. We're going to bring in the person that's been responsible for the success of such an iconic character. Now, that's not a direct quote, but that was the gist. So I like that that's how they're feeling, and it looks like we won't even see this until about 2022 anyway. I mean, and that's the earliest we'd, we would probably see it. So... What I think that people kind of take for granted is, and and I think especially for Super Mario fans, which of which I am a huge Super Mario fan, I think that this is as as a movie. This is more tricky than most people might realize, especially since there's been so many games now. There are so many different ways to adapt this and bring it to life, and not only that, but you you kind of have to do it better than the games have been doing. I know that the games are based largely on gameplay itself and not necessarily story. And that's always been fine for me for Mario. And that's why I'm not sure we even really need a Mario movie. As much as I love the character, I mean, I think the games kind of speak for themselves and stand on their own. 
That doesn't mean that Illumination, who's had a lot of success with Despicable Me and everything that goes on with the Minions, it doesn't mean that that they can't do this successfully because they've certainly they certainly have a track record for that. I'm just saying that you know this might be one that's left well enough alone because I'm not sure you can really do it better than the games are doing it or even get up to that level as much as you'd really like to do this. I mean, is it going to be fun? Sure. Will kids love it? I'm sure that they will. But if you you're under a lot, this character brings with a lot of scrutiny. Okay. You can't just make this for kids because adults are going to consume the hell out of this as well. I'm sorry. You, you, the movie will be made probably to target that kid demographic. But at the same time, you're going to have plenty of adults that grew up loving Mario because there's been so many games over the course of so many generations. These are people that are going to want to see this movie as well. And Illumination does do well at pleasing the adults and the kids as far as their content is concerned. But this one's a little bit different because you are dealing with a very, very beloved character. One of the most beloved characters, I think, ever in the history of entertainment, not just video games. People love Mario and the Super Mario Brothers characters. Do not underestimate that when you go into a project like this. So this is water that I would tread in very, very carefully. If I was Illumination, I don't think this would make or break them as a studio or anything. Don't get me wrong. It's not like if they failed in a Mario movie, they'd have to flush everything. I'm just saying that maybe this is something that's not worth doing. Although if they do it well, it could be hugely successful and could really, really lead to a lot of these movies in the future. Not done with the animation yet because the Hollywood Reporter and other multiple outlets as well reporting that once again, Netflix... Going to start moving into their own content. Well, teaming up with Legendary for one of them, actually. A Pacific Rim anime series has been announced by Netflix. Also an Altered Carbon animated series as well. So let's start with Pacific Rim. Apparently, this movie, this anime, anime series is going to expand on the two live-action movies. So it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a continuation of that story, but it's going to focus on a teenage boy and his younger sister. They're going to have to pilot an abandoned Jaeger in a desperate attempt to find their parents. So, I mean, obviously this is going to be a hostile landscape. Obviously the kaiju are going to work in here at some point. I just think that it's interesting that that's, that's where we're going with this. And I do think that anime makes perfect sense. For a franchise like Pacific Rim, I think that that could be visually stunning. But story-wise, I don't know. This is interesting for me. I'm not saying I know what I would have done differently or what I would have done better, but I'm not sure about this. I mean, I'm not sure that this is really going to work the way you want it to. I mean, I know that, that anime has done very well when you're using younger protagonists in your stories. I'm not saying that they don't, but at the same time, I'm not saying you go with full-blown adults either, but ah, this just reeks of Transformers movies to me, and that's not good because the recent Transformers movies haven't been very good, but that is what this kind of feels like to me, you know, focusing on the kid that takes charge of the big robot and and fights other big ro- well, not other big robots in this instance. In this instance, it would be kaiju. It's more than likely, but I don't know. It just something just feels a little off to me. And then you look at the Altered Carbon anime series, which again it makes perfect sense to me. If if nothing else, from a budgetary standpoint, and it can really have that Ghost in the Shell vibe. I think it, give it that look, and I think Altered Carbon anime will be gorgeous. Now, Netflix has already renewed Alter Carbon, though, by the way, for a live-action season two, remember, with Anthony Mackie, and I think they're going to give it eight episodes, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering that right. I mean, there's no really no other details on the anime series at all, or even who it would feature, or where they're going with it, nothing. But I, this is one of those things that you figure it could be cranked out almost either right along with or right after the live action season two. And does this mean we're not going to get any more live action altered carbon after season two? I guess that will depend on the success of one or the other or both. I would think you're just not going to scrap one in lieu of the other if they're both successful. So I don't know. I think that this is going to be something that we watch out for. And I think that we will see huge expansion on anime from Netflix, because again, we know that one of the things that was also mentioned during the Disney plus 
announcement was basically there Marvel's going to drop all of their content from Netflix and it looks like that will happen in 2019 cuz that's when the deal kind of runs out anyway. So everything's going to leave from Disney and Marvel and Star Wars from Netflix anyway. So Netflix being very proactive which what is what good businesses do. You understand that one thing is leaving, you've got to replace it with something. And you've got to make that gamble. You've got to go all in on something. And what they're going all in on are these anime projects and original content. And, I mean, I made this argument when I talked about Disenchantment being renewed for two seasons. You've got to do something. You have got to take what you have, which can be considered your original content, and just go for it and see what happens. You can't be scared of Disney and just assume that they're going to take you out and go cower in the corner. That's not Netflix's style. They're going to fight tooth and nail to keep their top spot in the streaming world and they just might be able to do it one more thing speaking of the streaming world swamp thing has had a lot of casting news lately the dc universe series and they have now casted not one but two lead actors to play the title character now andy bean who you might remember from power is going to be playing alec holland now then you've got Derek mears who's going to be playing the creature version of Swamp Thing. And now this is a guy in Mirrors who is certainly no stranger to the heavy makeup and no stranger to other character designs because he was Kree Captain on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., also Moloch on Sleepy Hollow, if you remember that, which was really, really cool. So, again, and because these two, because the, the difference between Holland and Swamp Thing are so vastly different, it's not like you could take one actor... And use him for both roles. So I totally understand going with two actors. One for the human and one for the alter ego and the hero of Swamp Thing. So it just makes sense to me. And I think that Mears is a terrific casting choice for Swamp Thing. I just think that he this is his wheelhouse. Kind of like Doug Jones and Andy Serkis. How they just find ways to take these otherworldly characters and make them their own. Mears just makes so much sense to me for Swamp Thing. So I am very, very happy about that casting choice. I'll, I will be completely honest. Since I'm not somebody that's a fan of, of Power, I haven't really seen it much. I don't really know a whole lot about Andy Bean. So I kind of have to reserve judgment on him. So, I mean, maybe you could tell me, as fans, maybe you could tell me better what you think of the choice. Tweet me at Down and Nerdy757. What exactly do you think of the choice of Andy Bean to be playing Alec Holland? Because I think that that could, I mean, if it works out, great. I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to say that I don't think it's a good choice because I'm not familiar with him because that would be ignorant on my part. I just think that, you know, I think DC's kind of swung for the fences. Rumors are are that they swung for the fences for some big names and did not land them for some of these DC original series on DC Universe. But I think that that's actually a good thing. Because how many people knew who Stephen Amell was before he got cast as Oliver Queen? How many people knew who Grant Gustin was before he got cast as Barry Allen? Not a whole lot. So DC's found some success in names that aren't big headline names, and I think that that's really going to work in their favor for this upcoming Swamp Thing series, which I think is going to be pretty darn good. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, going to be headed to Mars. That's right. Some of the producers and the cast of Mars got a chance to catch up with them at San Diego Comic-Con to talk about Mars Season 2 on Nat Geo. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from The Expanse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. Still trying to make life good on Mars is Mars on National Geographic Channel about to kick off their second season on Monday, November the 12th. And when I was standing on the red carpet at the Den of Geek Party at San Diego Comic-Con this past year, I actually saw a couple of the producers and the cast as well of Mars Season 2 strolling by. So I thought I'd get a quick chat with them about what to expect in Season 2. actually didn't know they were going to be showing up on the red carpet, so a little bit of uh, improvisation 
if you will, to talk about Mars Season 2. So let's talk to D. Johnson, Stephen Petronek, Jeff Hepner, and Jihei about what's going on with Mars Season 2. Take a listen. The Den of Geek Party at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. We have not only the showrunner, executive producer, but a couple of the stars of Mars on Nat Geo. What's up, everybody? Hey, hey lots of good to see you. <laughs> so when you first presented the idea for the show to Nat Geo, what was the reaction in the, in the very early go? They said instead of it being a 90-minute documentary, it ought to be six hours. I like that. That's how most pitch meetings should go. Right. <laughs> if only they were all that easy, right? Let's make it like that. And, and then you, it's not even just a documentary. It's sort of, you know, it you know, goes into live action series as well. So what was it like for you all putting that together, for you all bringing these parts to life? Well, we started, I came in season two this season, and so, and it was a blend, it's a hybrid of documentary and scripted. And this season we try to amp up the scripted part of it and have the documentary part of it really line up and sync up with it and tell a bit different kind of a story with the, a whole other layer involved. And it's been a really challenging, fun thing. It's good. What's, what's that challenge like when you go from documentary to live action series and you sort of kind of have to adapt yourselves into a storyline? We don't actually deal with the documentary side. We do all the, all the scripted side all together. And it kind of informs one another, you know, so the, that the unscripted documentary side really informs what we do. I think That's kind really, of what I was getting at. Yeah, I think it helps tell the story, and, and because it's, it's based in real science, it, right? it's a great way to say it, it's contextualized. It. And for the audience, you can kind of see what we're doing and print it on a foreign world, Mars, and it comes to life as a more realistic when you can add a doc to it. Speaking of that, how important was the realism in this whole thing? Well, it is a Nat Geo show. Of course, not, of course not the documentary part, but the actual live action But, you know, the live action part is we, we tried really hard to stay as close to reality, you know, as we can. It's very much anchored in the stuff we know. Yeah, it's, it's the facts that give credibility to a grand concept that people still haven't taken in very well. Right. People don't really believe we're going to be on Mars in 10 years. Right, exactly. We really are going to be on Mars in 10 years. And a show like this, where you have some part of the documentary that feeds into the storytelling, makes everybody start to believe it in the same way that people started believing this was possible after they saw The Martian, which is completely fiction. Right, exactly. Well, we think. I think. <laughs> Discoveries are being made all the time, so how do you say to yourself, okay, we got to somehow get that in? Uh, how much fact checking actually goes into that before you go, okay, we need to put this in the show? Everything is thoroughly fact checked for this show. Everything. There's nothing that's represented in the fictional part of the show that couldn't be possible or wouldn't be possible or even wouldn't be likely. And there really aren't that many new discoveries that are necessary to get to Mars. We've had the capability of doing this for about 40 years. And it's just been a matter of willpower and money and the fact that we're no longer relying on governments to get us there. Now switching to the scripted portion of the show, what can you tell us about where your characters are going in season two? Other than Mars. War. <laughs> now there's definitely a lot of conflict. You're going to see introduction to the, the, new, the, the habitation on Mars with the new colony coming in, the new commander, and, and two commanders, you know, butting heads for control. She spent five years there. They, they, they built the infrastructure. They have a, a shorthand way of dealing with each other. And then there's going to be a new group that comes that represents what's next for Mars, which is a natural outgrowth of how, you know, the next element of science. I mean, science has got to get paid for somehow. And there's a capitalistic move towards that. And I think that's going to be disruptive in many ways. And um, I 
think it allows for the conversation about in real life our behaviors and are we going to turn to this? Are we going to do it better? Are we going to do it worse? Are we going to do it right? You know, and I think the show allows for that. There's also romance. You know, there's new developments in relationships and romance and, and drama in that department, which is always fun. Very interesting. That, might, that means you definitely want to tune into Nat Geo Mars season two. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. So much great information in such a short amount of time from the cast, producer, and consulting producer, Stephen Petronek there from Mars Season 2 on Nat G. And, of course, G. Hey, Jeff Hepner, and as well, D. Johnson, who serves as the showrunner for the show in Season 2. I mean, it's just so great to see a show that balances the documentary side in the scripted side so well like Mars does. As a matter of fact, I was I was fortunate enough to go to the Mars party at San Diego Comic-Con as well, and there were wonderful presentations about how we would colonize Mars and how that might be possible in establishing governments and how we could actually live on Mars. So when I was at that party, it really gave me the depth of how much has gone into this show and how... It's it's not just it's not necessarily a teaching moment. It's 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 infotainment almost at its finest because everything is clearly thoroughly fact checked. I get to find that out after the interview, just how fact checked it really is and how deep things are thought about and delved into in putting this show together. So it's not just like a great Hollywood idea. These are real world things that are likely to be adapted at some point, and we're seeing a possible scenario of how that might play out on the scripted side for Mars on Nat Geo. So I love the fact that they're doing that. And to be able to see more of this show starting on Monday, November the 12th on the National Geographic channel, you're going to want to watch it live, put it on your DVR so you can rewatch it. Maybe there's going to be something that you missed, and it's going to create discussion with your fr- with your fellow nerd and geek friends just like it will for me when I when I watch it with my friends and it's going to certainly create lots of discussions because you know talking about going eventually going to Mars is a conversation that I don't think is ever going to go away even once we finally get there and that's what I love so much about it it's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to everybody at the National Geographic Channel and the cast and producers of Mars for joining me. Also, the folks at Den of Geek for having me on the red carpet at San Diego Comic-Con this past year. Really do appreciate that. If you want more from the show, actually, there's videos from the red carpet as well that I shot at downandnerdypodcast.com. If you want to check that out, maybe subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast as well on SoundCloud. Tune in. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If there's a podcast app, there's a likelihood that we're on it. Also, follow us on social media, too. Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy and at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.